Hi, welcome to Good Bad Bazaar. Today we're going to be exploring wellness through the eyes of a writer, producer, and my big brother, Michael Sutherland Young. How are you, Mike? I'm good, Katie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I've been working on your um, your jam that you my jam with your boyfriend. I've been working my on your jams, the smorgasbord oh, like, of jams you're you about, gave me. You're talking about literally eating the jam. I thought you meant I had some kind of jam, like I like had pizza <laughs> or something. The, the literal jars of jam that you you and Todd made. And I've been working through it and I've been wondering if you guys have like a big gay jam agenda. I think you've made this so much cooler than it really is. <laughs> this is great branding if we ever decide to start jam. Uh, no, I mean like there's no like big gay jam agenda. I think like for me, it's just, I eat a lot of jam. It's probably not very healthy. Actually, someone recently expressed disgust at the amount of jam I eat, but I go through a ton of jam because I love peanut butter and jam. That's like, yeah, I like, I'm really into foraging. So, and I usually forage things around the city, like kind of compulsively. Like I don't even usually have anything to make with them. I'm just like, oh, this is cool. There's free berries. I'm going to collect them. And then sometimes they just sit and rot in like bowls around the house. So um, I've been trying to be better at actually using things and uh, Todd being kind of like an all things kitchen expert. Yeah, he, he's kind of inspired me to, and like, to be honest, he's done more than inspire, inspire me. He's like basically made all the jams himself. Yeah, he's kind of got me excited about the idea of preserving stuff. And uh, yeah, so now I have a big gay jam agenda, I guess. Mom is really all about um, botulism, like talking about botulism. Yes. Which is put this idea. I know when we went to your garden and you gave me thistle. Was it thistle? Uh, no, I think I gave you. Oh, nettles? I maybe gave you nettles. Nettles. And then I went home and I was like really excited because you told me to steep these nettles. And that was the day I was watching your show on Out TV. I had planned to watch your show. So then I steeped the tea and then drank like a whole bunch of it. And then I was watching the show and suddenly mom's voice started going to my through my head talking about, <laughs> about botulism. And I was well, that's just your first like, problem. The first problem is just not letting mom's voice get into your head because it's gotten into my head and she's actually ruined <laughs> many, like a perfectly good can preserve because she's maybe worried about botulism. But no, like I think, okay, so here's the thing that I've learned about botulism. It is a type of bacteria, I believe that's correct, that grows in oxygen-free environments. So like normally if you can something, there, you're like in the, if you're canning it properly, you're sucking the oxygen out of it. It's really good because it's actually most bacteria needs oxygen to grow. But this is a type, like a type that grows in an oxygen-free environment. So that's why it's like a risk for canning. But I've also learned that okay. um, it doesn't like high acidity or high sugar. So like jams usually are, have both of those. So it's not, they're not a good candidate for botulism. Whereas like canned meats or like maybe a canned vegetable, if the acidity is low and there's no sugar, that's where you could get into some trouble. But no, if, if you just like took something out of the garden, you might get other, like you could get other bacteria from it, I suppose, if you didn't cook it and ate it. Interesting. But you get is your jam agenda murder? Is my, you, I, I, well, like I a, don't know. Maybe it should be. I would like a jam. I have jam. lots of people I would I'd like, like to kill. <laughs> I'd like a jam that's marketed around botulism. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so sort of like that's like sort of like that's like the mirror world version of jail it's like it's like the sort of like what's the underworld from stranger things called the upside down yeah it's like in the upside down like you buy jam based on how much botulism it has in it you like want like high levels of botulism <laughs> like medium botulism <laughs> i think that's quite marketable especially this time of year especially this actually you know i've been trying to think of a halloween costume and i know i'm taking oh. us off on a tangent but i no, just no. like botulism like what is botulism <gasps> like? maybe i could go as botulism. Yeah. i bought um okay full disclosure i bought a mary antoinette costume because i'm going to vegas in a couple weeks and i happened to be over at mom and dad's picking up the car and mom she was disturbingly fixated on me getting like a sexy Mary Antoinette costume. Like she really just at this point is just looking for a grandchild any way she can get it. Well, but, that's um, depressing, got... isn't it? Well, you know, anyways. Well, yeah. Well, I want to know what your Mary Antoinette costume. I mean, I feel like this is like she was probably a very misunderstood woman. And I love how we're now adding that like of all the things that she's known for, we're adding in like the sexy component now too. But I'm curious. Now she's got to be sexy. She's got to be a sexy Mary Antoinette. So like, on top of it all. That's a thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm doing a very, um, okay, it's not sexy. I just want to read, like, I just want to make that clear in case anybody sees the photos and, you know, they might be quite disturbed at what I think is sexy. There are quite a lot of bells and whistles to it. Like, I might need assistance to get in and out of it. It's it's a very, uh, what's her name, that director? Um, who did the Mary Antoinette movie with uh, Kristen? Oh, God. I don't ask me. I'm terrible with names. Why? I don't, no, I'm just. I can't. I've, hi, we're both feminists. We can't name like the world's <laughs> most famous female director. And Sophia P.S. Like, Coppola. Film. Yeah, she's doing a new film. She's doing Priscilla. That's cool. But anyways, it's a very Sophia Coppola. You know, lots. It's a very, especially when it comes to botulism. Um, well, somebody's got to. Oh, damn it, somebody's got to know something about botulism. Anyways, thank you so much for agreeing to do this with me. I'm really excited to chat with you about what you do to keep your marbles. Well, I don't think I have any of them left, to be honest with you. I think my marbles (laughs) are gone, but I'm very flattered that you think I'm someone who can speak to this. Why are marbles like the... Oh, don't worry. I got my marbles in my pocket. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, that's... hmm." (laughs) Don't worry, folks. I've brought in all my marbles. I have have all of them. (laughs) I have all the marbles I've been collecting. I brought them. Um, So we went for your day of wellness zip lining. I'd just like to start by saying, how many times a day do you zip line to stay healthy and fit? Like, I think I zip line at least <laughs> twice or three times a day. I think it's really important. I wish I could, honestly, like I, um, I, I, I like, I love, I would, if I had a zip line going out of my upstairs window to the street, I would take it just for the thrill. Like that would be so fun. But yeah, no, I zip line like approximately right? like once a decade or something. But before we get to that, is there anything more generally speaking that you like to do maybe on a daily basis or even a weekly basis? Anything you do that you find really therapeutic? I know we wrote a screenplay about the apocalypse. Do you find writing about the apocalypse particularly therapeutic? Yeah, writing for me is um is therapeutic once I'm in the rotation of it. Like getting into writing can be really hard. Sometimes something will happen. Uh, I'll be really upset, or I'll be really moved, or I'll be really angry. And writing is like the only way I can express that. And those times, writing is really easy and really cathartic. But a lot of the time, if I'm not feeling particularly something, then it takes a while to get into. So like 
No, I think in terms of like what I do for myself to say, you know, to keep my marbles in my pocket, I do a lot of, I've been trying to take a lot of time to walk. I love plants. I love trees and like, not just in a sort of general way, but like, I'm really fascinated by trees and I'm kind of tying this back to the apocalypse or the idea of like an environmental apocalypse. For me, like, you know, plants are the answer. They're something, they're like the foundation of, of everything, right? Like they're so foundational mm-hmm. to our ecosystems, they're foundational to our societies, to how we eat, to how we live. And so I spend a lot of time walking around the city and I find a lot of pleasure in, you know, obviously seeing plants that are like street trees and things, but also seeing all the plants that have escaped from people's yards. So like, especially mm-hmm. in Toronto and in privileged neighborhoods, people spend a lot of money on their gardens and they plant all kinds of interesting things some native plants some non-native and it's fascinating to walk down the street and see little seedlings from trees that have are popping up in the sidewalk you know between the pavers or along the edges of someone's walkway because to me that's like the power of these tra- of these trees and these plants like they're trying to expand their ecosystems they're trying to procreate and in a world where we're kind of clawing back uh, so much green space. There's something really satisfying in seeing plants kind of rebel in this way. So I take a lot of time to kind of walk and to like observe these things. And and yeah, I find that really like healing and centering. <clears throat> I know you had left a book at the cottage that I, or I stole and read, and it was called uh, The Secret Life of Trees. And it speaks about um, this huge web of connectivity and how the trees kind of communicate via their root systems and mycelium and this whole um, concept of survival of the fittest, it's not really part of, it's in their best interest to have the richest, most diverse forests. And so they actually like feed dying trees and they warn other trees via the root system when there's like a parasite or there's something that is coming towards them that threatens them. And it's like, it's interesting what you're saying about the secret life of trees, because the author makes a real case for, yeah, trees communicating with each other and cooperating, which like kind of flies in the face of Western thinking, right? About like mm-hmm. like Darwinism and all this other stuff that, you know, has, has I think been kind of misconstrued to support the idea of competition and survival of the fittest, you know, and that, that, that whole idea like underpins capitalist society. So like, it's interesting the perspective he's taking and a lot of people have I think argued back and, and sort of suggested he's like anthropomorphizing trees or like kind of coloring something a little bit inaccurately and I think you know like it's like any other kind of community like I think there are probably groups of trees that work really well together and groups that don't and some support each other and some compete and it's probably really complicated but it's also like so interesting to me how much some people want to or how much some people are uncomfortable with the idea of tree communities being like human communities it's like we want to think of them as this other thing as objects that are not like us probably because it's you know easier to like commodify them and to Anyway, I'm not going to get right. into like my little, my, my big gay tree agenda. I was talking to my other friend who's also a writer and we're kind of talking about therapy through art and he's a somatic practitioner. Uh, he had written this film about the pandemic and and so we were talking about how we, we use kind of writing to to create myth around what the body it's like something the body knows that we don't know consciously yet mm. so you just recently wrote your screenplay for out tv and i know not that it's a biography but there's elements of it 
that are borrowed from your experience of living with our grandmother, Della. And I wonder if any of that was like needing to process the experience or how that idea came up, if there was some healing in that process. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because uh, when I first wrote that series, uh, it didn't have a home. Like it didn't, I wrote it before we got it greenlit by OTV. And so where it started and where it ended, when we actually filmed it and produced it and, and distributed it through OTV, it changed a bit. But I think like the way I usually write and the way that I, the way that writing excites me is to go into it very intuitively and, and not like, I'm not someone who can write an outline. I mean, I'm getting better at this, but I'm generally not someone who can write an outline. Say I'm going to write a I'm going to write a story about a boy who goes to the store and then like it'll be three parts like I just can't do that and see what what happens and then and I think that's why I like writing for screen because it's drama and so you're like okay so person A says something you have this idea for them to say something and then you're reacting as person B you're reacting to that and you don't really know how you're going to react to that until you actually put yourself you put yourself in that character's shoes and then you respond and then you kind of and you go back and forth and build out a story from there and so this is a very long way of saying i don't really know uh like what compelled me to write we three queens uh, other than gary and i had lived with della we wrote an article about it and i had this idea that it could be a sort of funny and interesting comedic drama but I think as I was doing it, I was processing things and I was making connections between different things that happened. And even in trying to get away from like needing it to be a reflection of like an exact reflection of real life. Like at first I felt like, okay, like this partly, no, like she's not like Della and no, he's not like Gary and this isn't working. And then when I let that go and let things kind of collage more and like let elements of different people come up in different characters, it became more cathartic and more, yeah, I think it was kind of processing the experience mm -hmm. of living together and like actually even getting new insights into like what that experience meant to me. I don't know if that makes any sense, but No, it does make go. sense. And you're writing, so you're writing new episodes now and you, uh, you had said, not seriously, but in passing that you were gonna write me in as a character, as a nurse. A sexy as a nurse, sex I'm a, as a, sexy a sort of nurse. awkward sexy nurse, I might add. Okay. But I now like to advocate for myself and say I prefer to be a sexy doctor. So we went to Long Point Eco Adventures for our <laughs> day like, of wellness. And on that note, we're going to talk about zip lines. <laughs> Bear with me. And now we'll talk about what we came here to talk about. Long Point Eco Adventures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a nice day we went. We, we had a good luck with the weather. And it takes about... This was originally, sorry, I should go back and say, this was originally a gift for our dad's birthday, which then got handed down to me for my birthday because those bastards didn't want to go. <laughs> and I think it was a gift for, I think I got this as a gift for the whole family. And then they backed out as they are, you know, prone to do. They backed out. Zipline is not good enough for them, eh? It's not. And to be fair, like they are, you know, aged human beings. So it is a bit, um, it's a bit trepidatious. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Was that, does that titillate you? Trepidatious? I'm, I'm titillated. <laughs> I'm so, I'm titillated. I'm putting on my sexy nurse costume as we speak because I'm just so titillated. I did a little research and I now know what I'm worth to you because I found out it's $100 per person. And then you get um, $15 to spend at the Marsh View patio, which overlooks Lake Erie. Okay, I just um, need to and advocate I think, for myself for a second and say that yeah. it's more than that. Um, I was just joking, but there you go. <laughs> I'm worth a little more than that. Only but um, from Monday to Wednesday, 
from Monday to Wednesday, apparently it's $90. Okay. Um, the whole thing takes about two hours. So you're actually ziplining out there, flying amongst the shag birch trees and the flying squirrels for about two hours. But they also have like mushroom foraging, a stargazing observatory. Have you done any of those things or is it just the ziplining? No, I've only done the ziplining and only a few. Okay. It took us like two, an hour to get up there. How long did it take us to get out there? Like an hour or so from Toronto? Uh, yeah, like maybe an hour and a half. An hour and a half. Yeah, it was pretty quick. And then they set you up with your gear. Um, they take you on first like a little baby zip line so you can just try it out and see how you feel about the whole experience. And we were with maybe five other people. And one of them was, was she 90 years old? No, I think she was in her 80s. But she was, she was in her definitely. 80s, she, was, um, she was spicy. A brave lassie. And there was also a child with us, so we really ran the whole gamut in terms of age. And um, Holiday is looking at me in this very nonplussed way, like you better not fucking strap me to a zipline woman. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me, and uh, I'll catch you at the next family dinner. Okay, bye.